Welcome everybody to the Thrive Street Podcast, where we talk about creating change in our lives and in the world around us. I'm your host, Jeremy Jones. This is my co-host, Gigi. Say hi, Gigi. Hi. <laughs> and uh, today we're going to go over, uh, it's going to be a little bit different. We're going to go over our some more strengths-focused concepts. You know, this, this podcast is coming out when we go through some of our, uh, uh, we're starting a new six-week six week rhythm. And then, um, and then we're going to break down an article where, um, this, this uh, person has a slightly different, um, uh, theory about why the interference effect exists. And the interference effect is that, is that research has shown that when, when doing aerobic work and trying to get, make strength and hypertrophy muscle size gains, um, they interfere with each other. And, and so that aerobic work has been shown to prevent, um, strength gains. And so, you know, this is really important at, for us as, as strength and conditioning coaches. You know, those two words are, are basically what they're talking about. And um, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, so, so we're going to start off with the, uh, with the programming stuff. If you, guys, if you guys know all this stuff, you can fast forward. But uh, I'm going to put on my thinking cap. And uh, uh, so, so, so you guys, so I'm ready, so I'm ready to, to, to throw, down, throw down this stuff. I'm just kidding. Where, uh, where did you get that hat? That is so ridiculous. Las Vegas. My son Jack saw people walking around with masks that had like light up features on the face. And so they have these different like monsters or just electronics and stuff. And so we had to, we went on a wild goose chase to find it on like our last day. Cause he was like, I want that. And so we found this little shop and then it was like, you get two for a discount, two items. And so, so then we tried to decide what hat to get. And I, we both just thought it was funny. So this is Jack's and my hat. <laughs> there's another one that was like recharging or something too but i just thought it was funny because it was a total dad joke with a thinking cap um so so uh as most of you guys know we do a six-week strength focus and um that involves where we do where we we have one lift that's been planned out far in advance and uh, we test we usually test in one week five or so the week before and then um and then we, when we start, we're going to start with lighter percentages, but it's not exactly percentage lifting. And we're going to talk about how to add weight today and like what, you know, when you're doing the strength focus, what, you know, when do you, when do you add weight, when do you stay the same um, throughout, throughout the, the focus. But just as a reminder for the first, first two weeks, we're, we're keeping it pretty light um, and then, you know, work more on form and correct some, some of those issues. Then there's kind of a blend of, of, of Metcon duration and volume and then how heavy the lifts get. And of course they get heavier toward the end. And we do some, we're doing a little bit more frequently lifting throughout the week, doing other lifts. And we're not doing the same lift all week. We're going to, we alternate it with other lifting too. So it's not a pure strength focus or strength or, or, you know, strength cycles is what people call it. Um, and in the first two weeks, the weeks one and two, we always uh, increase the Metcon, right? Because we're, li we're lifting um, much lighter loads in general. Um, it allows me to put a little bit more uh, uh, volume and duration into the Metcons. And so, you know, if you like the, the longer Metcons, the first two weeks are probably your favorite time of the time of the cycle. And, and if, you, if you like more lifting, the, the last two weeks tend to be the favorite. Um, and so, so just keep that in mind as, 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 we, as we talk about this stuff. And, but, but mainly what I want to talk about today is this sort of increase in intensity um, and, and uh, frequency that we see in the six week focus. So I'm gonna share a different graphic here. And we've got a little flow chart. So, so, um, so, the, way, so the way the, uh, uh, the, the strength focus, the, the lifting sessions are planned is they're usually planned with something like you might see twos for seven sets, 
and then I'm gonna make it really easy twos threes and fours let's just say that and we might we might do it 12 times so we would go through that um, uh, that sort of pattern usually I do um, I might do a fourth thing that might be a component of the lift or a, a similar lift um, like if we, when we were doing cleans we did clean pulls is the fourth lift but uh, but essentially what's going on is is uh, we're, we're adding volume right so you'll pick you'll pick your starting your starting load it's usually recommended has a recommended percentage and that per percentages aren't the best for for this style of training because unless you know exactly what your max is and you're a pretty advanced lifter um, that those percentages aren't very accurate so we're not going to give exact percentages I like to give a range and because a lot of that stuff depends on technique and and uh, uh, like I said your, your training age if you will so so it's usually let's say 70 to 80 percent in that first week or two you might have to jump around a little bit you might have started too light you might when you do the next session it might be a little, feel feel like you started too heavy if you if you started too heavy and so it's okay to make some adjustments in the first week or two um, to outside of this sort of pattern but you can see that if we did twos and then threes and then fours we're adding volume we're adding more sets so if you did twos for seven sets and the next one's threes but you only do it for six sets and so now we're at 18 total reps and then we do fours for five sets which would be 20 total reps now now you would do the same weight for all of those and then you would add weight when we went back to twos again, right? And then we would, then you continue to go that way. So this is a, a style of programming that makes sure that every session we're either adding reps to the set or we're adding load and going back down, going back down again. But there's always the, the there's always this sort of question like, what you know, what weight should I be lifting today? It says this percentage, but I missed the last one. And this is really one of the one of the more key points of the uh, um, of the strength focus and strength cycles is that is that it's designed so that if people only come and they, they're hit or miss, they're still making progress, right? So they're still progressing, even if they missed a whole week, right? So the problem with a lot of the more focused strength programs is there, it's expected that the person doing it is gonna do every single session, right? And so if you, were, if you had customized programming and somebody assigned you, you know, you're gonna do this lift three times per week and here's your percentages and here's your, you know, or here's your exact loads even, um, it, you can't just skip one day and then jump in later on, right? That, that, that doesn't, that messes up the whole program. You do that, you know, two or three times in a six week program, that program is going to be a lot less effective. And so by having it set up this way with this pattern and this rep scheme, it allows people to maybe only come and do the lift once a week. And then after six weeks, they're still going to see some progress, you know, or maybe they, they did two lifts one week and they missed a week and they do two lifts the next week and sort of that sort of pattern, they're still gonna see some results, um, especially the beginner and intermediate people. The advanced people need to be a little bit more consistent over, over that time. If there's 12 sessions scheduled, they should try to hit all of them if they can. And that's why we put out those calendars. But, uh, um, but for those of you guys listening to the podcast versus watching the video, you might wanna check out the video just to sort of see this. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I, I link to this. Um, to this graphic here too as well. Um, but the question is, you know, how many uh, reps, how many reps per set today compared to my last session? So if you were to come in and you did this, you did the, let's just say it's, it's something like squats. I squatted last week and I did threes, right? I did threes last week at 150 pounds. Okay, great. So, so today's session even if it's been a few days or a week or whatever you're do, we're doing squats again part of the strength focus so then you have to say okay is is the session today more reps the same reps or less reps if it's more reps then so if it was threes last time even if you missed a week or whatever and today is today it's fives you would try to do the fives at the same load 
right? And this is one of the reasons why we start so light at the beginning of the cycle in that sort of 70 to 80% range, because that way, you know, if you do miss a whole week, you can still add a little bit of weight. Now, the percentages might be a lot higher, but if you missed a whole week, you might just add 10 pounds, or you, you know, if we're gonna add, we're gonna add 10 pounds. Let's go back to the, uh, the staying at the same load. So again, you're, you're still advancing. You're doing the same load for more reps. And again, now, you know, uh, presumably you did that, that squat session last week, and you are now a little bit stronger, and we want, we want, the, we want to continue to, to teach the body what we want it to do, and that's get stronger and bigger muscles. So that's why we, we stay at the same, uh, we stay at the previous load. Now, if the weight is the, um, if, the, if it's the same, let's say you missed a couple in a row or whatever, then you have the option to add a little bit of weight. And you'll notice I made a small note here that says smaller jump. So like if you missed an entire week or more and you did squats two weeks ago and you, did, and you missed all the squat sessions and now it's back to threes again, you should, you should, make, you should make it a little bit of a jump, but it, it should probably, instead of being you know, you know, 10 or 20 pounds like on a squat, you might only go five or 10 pounds. Um, so especially, you can do a bigger jump if it's earlier in the cycle, but if it's getting close to your max, you'll probably wanna make a smaller jump. Um, just because you haven't had those other sessions in between to help, again, provide that stimulus to get stronger. Now, if, if the rep scheme is less, if let's say it's threes, uh, um, you did threes a week ago or whatever, and then today it's twos, um, that's when you're gonna make the bigger jump. So remember that pattern, you know, threes, four, or twos, threes, fours that I used as an example. You know, you just did fours with that weight. Let's say it was 150 pounds. Now you come back and now it's back to twos or even threes. Now you can make a little bit bigger jump because if you can do four with 150, then you can do, you should be, or yeah, if you can do four with 150, you should be able to do 165 with twos, right? Or 160 with twos. So you can make a larger jump um, when, when, it's the, when we're going down in reps, right? The, 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 the less, the bigger the gap in reps, the, the, uh, um, the, the bigger jump you can make. But just keep in mind that over that strength cycle, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna make at least, you know, uh, three, sometimes four jumps over a period of a whole cycle. So if you were to add, you know, 10 pounds to, to your, to your squat or whatever, that's, you're adding 40 pounds from where you started. And then usually we're ending with extra volume too. So you might be doing 40 pounds more than you started, but now you're doing it for fives or whatever. Um, so just be conservative when you're making those weight jumps. So that, does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if you were asking rhetorically or actually asking. <laughs> I was actually asking you. I just realized I just talked for like ten minutes straight, and we've yeah, <laughs> been friends for a long time. It's not your first time. <laughs> hey, um, you know I have a funny story. While you're not talking for a second, mm -hmm. last week we were on the phone, and my phone somebody called on the other line, and I had to go get it on the other line, and I was like, I have to like just hang on, and you kept talking. And then I was like, whatever. So I went to the other line, talked for a minute or two to my mom, came back, and you were still talking, and you didn't miss me. <laughs> you didn't even know that I had left. You are a terrible human and friend. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to tell you then, but I was like, I'll save it for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that makes sense then. Okay, that's good. Um, it was a good idea. I can support that. I can support that. Um, yeah. So, so again, this is some of the, some of the uh, reasons why the strength uh, focus is the way it is, is, is because, you know, these other strength programs, like I said, you have to do every session. Otherwise you're really limiting the effectiveness of the program. And uh, you know, we want to have this sort of group, this, the group programming, but we still want people to get results, you know, and, 
And uh, that's one of the analogies I make with programming is, is you, can, you can have a super, super fancy, you know, really detailed, customized program, but that's gonna be expensive and it's also not gonna be very, um, very durable or resistant to like life interruptions or anything like that. You know, that's like having a really fancy race car, you know, where, where the, uh, regular daily gym programming needs to be able to, to adapt and work for a large number of people and with different goals and also be able to handle interruptions. Like I said, you miss the session or you, or you uh, miss a week of training for whatever reason. It still needs to continue to have some sort of goal. You know, the, one of the, um, the reasons why this more general CrossFit programming works where they don't have any sort of plan where it's just, you know, we're going to do a lift once or twice a week and then we're going to do, you know, Metcons the rest of the time and just make sure we don't do too many of any one movement. You know, that does actually work. That's kind of what CrossFit does. And it works because if you miss a week or two, you can still jump right back into it. You don't have to go back and make up all the stuff that you missed. Um, uh, but that is the power of the high intensity training that we see that we get out of it. But there is a better way. And that is to have, have you know, some progressions and some planning that is, that is uh, um, I don't know what, what the word is, durable enough or, or just, um, uh, you know, planned well enough so that, again, people with, with uh, life interruptions, this is always what we all deal with, doesn't, doesn't totally ruin the last, you know, four or five weeks of training. Makes sense. So let me ask you something then. Um, is there anything else you want to say about this or can I ask my question? Ask your question. So my question is, do you ever program the Metcons, these longer Metcons at the end of a, uh, the beginning of a strength cycle before your strength training stuff? No. Why <laughs> <laughs> um, And it, it, it's funny because I've had this, I've heard this come up in some of the, some of the, uh, the gym owner forums and people programming and they'll talk about, oh, and we had people PR their whatever after doing this 20 minute Metcon and isn't that great? And you should, you should mix it up constantly varied and all this stuff. And, and that blows my mind that people would do that. Now, in a competition, you know, when you're, when you're really sort of competing and trying to, trying to compare people to see who's the best, that's not, a bad, that's not a bad test. You know, obviously, the people who have a good engine and are strong and have good recovery are going to perform better at that, at that test. But from a training standpoint, the biggest problem I see with that is it's dangerous, right? It's just dangerous to put people into, um, you know, get them tired and fatigued and then put them into some heavy lifting. Now, the other, the other reason why is that it's, it's not as effective for getting people stronger, and that ties into our interference article that we're gonna talk about next. Such a good segue, nailed so, it. I, so. <laughs> um, so is there ever a benefit for testing someone like that? Like I can, I can think of a couple different Wait, like reasons why you would want someone to be able to max out, like train in a way where they're trained to kind of max out after an endurance thing. Like, if I think about a firefighter, mm -hmm. right, and what what they physically go through, or if I think about um, like a, an NHL player, and I know like some of our some of our clients over at Mad Lab train um, NFL players, and one of the things that they really focus on is being able to be focused and have this like high output even after they've been like exhausted in all, in all different manners. But I think that, um, and we're going to get into it when we talk about this article, but there's a difference between being able to, to train to perform on a test day and, and training to improve. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And so I, 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 what I feel like is, I mean, 
The other thing to, to, to tangent back to the programming a little bit is I, the way I write the programming is, you know, the warm up and then, and then some activation or mobility um, skill. And then if there's a lift that day, then the lift and then the Metcon's kind of the dessert, right? Um, and that's because that, that's priorities, right? We want to put some priorities on, obviously you have to warm people up. That's, that's just, that's just better for folks. Um, but then putting the mobility, for example, earlier on, make sure that there's time for it, right? Instead of waiting for the end and running out of time or people cutting out early. Um, and same thing with the skill work, you're going to learn complex movements and be able to focus on the skill a lot better if you're not totally trashed from doing heavy lifting and or a Metcon. And so we do those things early on and it functions as part of the warm up, right? So we're, we're continuing to warm up for, you know, the rest of the work that day. And then we want to make sure that people eat their vegetables, which, which would be the lift, which most, you know, some people learn to love and they love their lifting, but I still feel like a lot of folks prefer the, the endorphin rush they get from the Metcon a lot more than, than just doing, you know, heavy squats or whatever. Um, and, and, uh, so, so from a, from a training standpoint, let's say you did that. Let's say you just, you always put a lift after a Metcon. And then you had the other cohort of people, they actually did the lift before the Metcon. They're going to get stronger and, and, and still improve on their other measures of fitness faster than, than people who did the, the Metcon first, right? Because, because what we know is that, is that if you try to lift heavy, you're not going to get the same stimulus and you're going to have this interference effect. And so, you know, as a test or if somebody has to do it for a job, you know, it's better to train lift first, Metcon after, and then every once in a while, maybe change it up. But don't make the lift any kind of max, really max effort and try to keep it to, to lifts that are a low risk of injury, you know. So I wouldn't be doing any Olympic lifting, um, may, maybe power cleans, but, but uh, even heavy deadlifts could be, could be pretty sketchy. But, you know, doing some squats or doing some push presses or some, something like that, those, those I think would be on the kind of more on the safe side than, than, uh, um, than doing, you know, some like a snatch or something after being so fatigued. Um, and that's what makes them a good test. Right. But again, it's not good for for general um, training and continuing to help people make progress. Yeah. Like the reasons why athletes get paid so much is because they're literally risking, risking their lives for our entertainment. And if, yeah. if you're not getting paid millions of dollars to, to throw a snatch over your head when you're exhausted, you probably don't do it. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, it, you know, there was, there's this phrase that Greg Glassman always used in the early days and that's men will die for points. And really all that is, is it's just a form, another way of explaining gamification, right? Creating a game out of it. And so having the workouts being measured, like we do regularly, if, if, you know, 99% of the time, it's usually some sort of measurement. Um, it's, it's less about people competing with each other because then they always push themselves too hard. And it's more about just having some sort of data that you can refer back to later on. Right. And so, you know, in the programming, we, we repeat, um, uh, usually we'll do one or two sort of what I call benchmarks, which could be classic benchmarks or my own benchmarks. Um, and those are workouts that come up every three to six months or, or once a year. Um, then we'll do, um, you know, usually, a, a two to three repeat workouts. So workouts that I've programmed in the past, you know, could have shown up six months ago, could be two years ago, but then I'll, re I'll repeat one of those workouts. And then there's usually two to three new workouts or workouts that have never been done before. Um, and so that way you have the benchmark ones. And then you, like I said, you usually have about three of the, uh, uh, of repeat workouts. And so, cause people are always more motivated by seeing how much farther they've come. And so by being consistent with their training that comes up again, they're like, Oh, I did this workout and it, sh and it can remember it, especially if they're using an app like um, beyond the whiteboard. So, so it's really important, I think, to have the, that data point, but it's not about the competition side. And it's amazing when people are like, they're, 
they're pushing themselves toward injury or risking injury. And it's like, you're not getting paid a million dollars. Like there's no money on the line here. This is, this is, why are you pushing yourself so hard? You know? And, and so I think, I think that's, that is the drawback to that style of, of training. And, and um, it's, it, I think it does, the gamification does help people be more consistent. It does help people kind of push into a higher intensity zone um, uh, because they're competing with their friends or whatever. But ultimately it's always just, you're only competing with your old self. You know, you're only just trying to be better than you were yesterday. Better so, than yesterday. Oh, that sounds like something that it would be cool to have on a tattoo. Yeah, yeah, or something like that. Um, so one day, you guys, I'll show you my better than yesterday tattoo. You have to wait and see. <laughs> or you can just scour the internet for shirtless pictures of me. Um, so, <laughs> That's so creepy. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, what's the article? So this guy, Chris um, Beardsley, um, this is the first time I've ever heard about him. And now I follow him on Instagram because he was, because I really like what he had to say. Um, you know, it's, you know, he says here that, that many recreational lifters do aerobic exercise in addition to strength training, either for health reasons or to help with fat loss. However, some research groups have found that performing aerobic exercise regularly while doing strength training workouts leads to smaller increases in muscle strength and size compared to just doing strength workouts alone. Um, and there is no, and he goes on to say, there's no clear, there is no real clear answer for this. And, and, they, and there ha has been some studies that have uh, replicated ex exactly what they're talking about. And then some that have shown, no, that's not necessarily the case. And they don't, they don't know exactly why. Um, and then he goes on to, you know, uh, why do we think, uh, you know, there, he goes on to why do we think this is? And so there's kind of, he, he references a lot of the, the, the studies here and links back to them. So he kind of has a part one and a part two. But both of these uh, essentially come down to the fact that, that it, we're, we're sending competing signals. And this is something that I, you know, just observationally understood from programming for so long is that, again, exercise is, is just a signal. We're, we're giving our body a message and we're saying, I want to have less body fat. I want to have more muscle and I want to have more, you know, cardiorespiratory capacity or VO2 max or whatever. And we're sending it all these signals. And so that's, that's really the key of what exercise is doing. It's not about like, for example, just burning more calories. You know, it does help that, you know, when you exercise, you are burning more calories. So if you're trying to maintain a caloric deficit, that's going to, that's going to aid in that. But, but it's so much more complicated when you really get down to it and they still haven't been able to figure this figure out exactly how that works. But we do know is we're sending a signal to the body to release, you know, uh, hormones and release these things that make that cause changes in the body. And so what, what the, previous studies kind of their hypothesis became, well, maybe they're competing. We're, we're, we're telling the body, we want you to put all your effort and energy into adapting aerobically or we want, or, or strength. And when you put them both out, it's going to preferentially choose the aerobic capacity. So, so, you know, the, I was waiting for you to say something, Gigi. <laughs> I'm listening. I didn't read the article, so I'm, I'm just listening intently. Oh. <laughs> I didn't do my homework. Sorry, Teach. Yeah. So, so, you know what, when he, you know, the, one of the things they talk about is ATP and, and uh, the signaling that happens and then, you know, the changes in mitochondria and, you know, uh, capillary density and all this stuff. And, and uh, what I, what, what I found intriguing about the article, which, which again, kind of jives with, with my own experience was that his sort of proposed difference is after looking at some of the research was that endurance causes a much greater um, uh, 
deficit in your central nervous system, right? So endurance training is much harder on the, 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 the wiring in our bodies that sends the signals to the muscles to contract, right? So we have this, we have these nerves that go to the muscle and it splits up. And the more powerful that signal, the more muscle fibers we can recruit to do that activity. So if we're doing, um, if we're, if we're lifting and, uh, um, and we're, we're, we're rested and we didn't do anything significant before that, we're going to be in our best position to use all those muscle fibers. And uh, for, so this is going to help us with, again, with growth of the muscle hypertrophy. And it's also going to help with, you know, speed and power because, because we're getting that, that maximal signal. Now, when, when people talk a lot about like overreaching or overtraining, one of the signs of that is that your, your central nervous system starts to downregulate. One of my favorite um, studies or, or, or examples is that the, what the Russians did um, for their athletes is they would always be required to do a test um, before training. And this is one of the secret things I use for my competitors and I recommend for people who are training really hard is you get one of those uh, dynamometers, the, the grip testers, um, and you can get a digital one for, for 20 or 30 bucks on Amazon that, that'll work fine. I'm sure there's more expensive, more complicated ones. And you just test someone's grip strength, which is a very um, central nervous system uh, movement. So the, the more you can, you can contract and peek that thing out, um, the, more, the better your central nervous system is firing. And then they also did a broad jump, right? Just a, on the flat ground, broad jump for distance, and then they measured that. And then I think they also did a chest throw with a med ball. That might have been one I came up on my own, or it might have been one that, they, that I read about. But you have, these, you have these tests, and what you're looking for is if those numbers, now they're down one day or something like that, it's not a big deal. But if we start to see a trend where people's grips, for example, are decreasing um, over, over a period of days, um, we know that, that, that they're under-recovering. So the, the workload is too much, maybe they're not getting enough sleep, you know, maybe they got sick. You know, all these factors can play, play a role with, with decreasing performance. And then you can adapt their, their regimen to, to, to let them recover. So maybe give them less volume or just change the programming so that until, they, until they rebound. On the other side, what you'll see sometimes is their numbers will start going up. So they start jumping a little farther or their grip starts going up and it starts to increase and we see a trend going up. And that means that they're peaking too soon. So if they have a, 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 a meet or a deadline or, or some sort of competition coming up, we don't want them to peak because after every peak, there's always a, there's always a decrease, um, uh, just the way the this is the way the body adapts. And so, what you what what you would then do if they started to see that that trend go up, you would actually um, uh, increase the volume and change the programming to make it a little harder on them to kind of knock them back down <laughs> in place, and then so that so that they can peak at the right time. And so that's kind of another example of how the central nervous system works. And what was interesting about this guy's hypothesis is saying, so what happens with aerobic um, stressors is the, the central nervous system is downregulated for a lot longer, you know, for hours and hours after you've done that, uh, after you've done that effort. And they're talking about kind of more the, the longer, you know, uh, aerobic capacity type stuff that you would see. So things in like the, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes and, and stuff like that. And uh, just the more, you know, the, the more intense and long, the, the more downregulated the central nervous system is. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of runners and triathletes sometimes have a little bit of a spare tire is because they're training in that, that really overtrain, kind of they're pushing their, themselves to, to that under recovery overtraining state um, because of they're trying to get as much volume as they can before their next race. And that, that stress, one of the ways that stress manifests is through a little bit extra body fat. But, uh, uh, 
but yeah, and so, so what, what the, the previous studies all did, the ones that say that there's this interference effect and the people who are trying to get strong and work on their, they work on their aerobic capacity first and then did lifting, they almost always really uh, had no strength gains or very limited strength gains compared to people who just did strength gains. And even when they had a two-hour break in between, um, they still saw this interference effect. And, and this person's hypothesis is if we're not firing as many muscles because we're, we, we did an aerobic work, some aerobic work, we go in to do the lift and now, now the, uh, uh, the lift meet, you know, where our central nervous system isn't firing as strongly because it's been taxed so much and it's still, still recovering from the aerobic work, we're not going to recruit as many muscles. And if we're not going to recruit as many muscles, we're not going to be as strong that day, but also we're not going to get the, as strong a signal to get stronger because we're not going to release the hormones and everything that we need. Right. So, you know, and he talks about the mTOR pathway and all that. So, so it's, it, it's an interesting um, theory. Um, but I think it does prove itself out um, in, in the field. Right. And well, so I was going to say, we've all experienced this, right? Like if you go and do something super active and then go to try to lift heavy, you're fucking worn out. And you just like to, to pull off a heavy lift, it takes everything you've got. You've got to be mentally focused. You've got to like, breathe fucking properly. You need to have a good breakfast, like whatever. Everything's got to be there for you to get that max output, right? Everything has to be hundred percent lined up. Everything doesn't need to be hundred percent lined up to go for a run. Like you can be a little bit lightheaded. You can, um, that's a terrible example. Don't <laughs> No, but you can be having an off day, right? You can be having yeah, an off day. Have, and let's get breakfast and have a run. And you can, you can, you know, have the wrong music and go for a run. Your breathing could be a bit off. You can still go for a run. Nothing's going to happen. But if, if something's off, you're not going to PR your back squat. You're not going to nail that heavy lift because you need to recruit absolutely fucking everything in order to achieve that. And obviously, if you go and like crush a big cardio session before you attempt this big lift, you're just, you're just going to be worn out. Right. And it's like anecdotally, yeah, it makes sense. Right. But then but to know that there's like some kind of science behind it too, just further backs it up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is one of the studies that he references here. And this is from his Instagram and uh, he, he backs it all in. And it's really, really fine print. But um, one of the things he talks about is peripheral fatigue versus central fatigue. And so peripheral fatigue, they can measure by they, they, you know, they, they take the muscle and they actually electrically stimulate it. And so it's completely independent of your central nervous system. And that means like, is, you know, is the muscle fatigued, right? And, and uh, versus is the nervous system fatigued? And, um, you know, they, they talked about how the, the peripheral force might actually be still there for these people who, who, did, who did an aerobic, who did aerobic work before, but it was actually the, the central fatigue that was meaning why they couldn't lift as many or, or recruit as many muscle fibers. And so that was a really uh, interesting example. Um, and it was usually, like it says, uh, you know, they compared people doing four kilometer versus, you know, 20 to 40 kilometer. Um, I think it was bike, stationary bike. And they were testing VO2 max and things like that. Um, you know, there was, there was another one, um, the effect of two different concurrent training programs on strength and power gains in highly trained individuals. That was really interesting where they, they talked about um, uh, resistance training versus uh, uh, the, they were comparing, you know, um, uh, cardiovascular training versus resistance training versus, you know, high intensity interval training. And they found that the high intensity interval training, uh, actually, actually didn't, uh, negatively affect the strength training, right? So it improved the VO2 max 
and uh, was more time efficient than, than cardiovascular training. And, um, and they, people still, um, still made strength gains, right? So again, this is, this is why, you know, CrossFit works, so to speak. Can't see my, and then there was another one here. He references the psychological, the physiological effects of concurrent strength training endurance training sequence, a systematic review and meta analysis. <laughs> um, and again, what, what they, what they were finding was there was, uh, um, uh, uh, yeah, this has a lot of big words, fixed or random effect models per level of heterogeneity between studies and further sensitivity analysis was carried out using inverse variance heter heterogeneity <laughs> preceded endurance with the pooled mean change, you know, and so, um, uh, so what does that, mean, you know, well, this was saying, it says, however, the training sequence had no impact on aerobic capacity with a pool difference of this sequencing strength training prior to endurance, uh, in concurrent, training appears to be beneficial for lower body strength adaptations while in, while the improved uh, aerobic capacity is no longer is not affected by training order so basically what it's what it what it's saying specifically is putting the strength training prior to endurance appears to be beneficial for for strength while the improvement of aerobic capacity didn't matter right so when you're doing both it, it for example it, it, like i said if you did the aerobic capacity stuff first and then lift, it didn't affect, you still got aerobic capacity gains. You just have diminished strength gains. But if you put the strength first, you get strength gains. And again, you get the same amount of aerobic capacity gains if you do it after, right? Does this sound familiar? This is why we do this in the gym this way. We do short, high intensity interval training, and we do it after, uh, after a lift, right? Because now we get this, the benefit of the strength training and we get the benefit of the, of the cardiovascular training in the VO2 max and things like that. So, so like, and, and like I said, in, in the field, in my own training, that's, that's what I see is, is that people who, who um, do a ton of uh, aerobic training um, over time, they, they don't, they don't make the same strength gains if they're, if they try to prioritize that versus make, doing the lifting first. Again, it's a safety thing too, but uh, um, the, you know, if we, if we do the lifting first, we, we see both, we, we get the benefits of both, both training protocols versus versus one or the other. So if you are going to do a two a day, what do you do? Like, and I, I'm not saying for, I'm saying if, if you're a normal human and you, you like to run, but you also know that you need to leave weight, uh, lift weights and say you're, you, the only time that you can run is in the morning or you like to run in the morning. Right. Um, but then the only time you can lift is at lunch. Is that enough time? Like the study kind of talked about two hours. I would assume that if you're if you're running at like six a.m. and then lifting at noon, that's probably enough time, right? Assuming that your nutrition is on point in between and you're getting enough sleep at night. Like, what do you think? Do you think that was? I think I think there is a. Um, it depends on how long you're running and how hard. Uh, the, obviously, the 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 harder you push yourself on the run, the the more you're gonna be affected for the rest of the day. Um, it's it, if you could do them on separate days, that's gonna be better but if if you can't if this if this is this is your regimen or whatever and you and this is the only time you can train it's still again you have to make sure your recovery is in and you don't want to push yourself too hard on the run i think i think I, I don't remember if this this was the article but i think it sometimes you know has been measured out to six hours and beyond um is just remember that the closer you get it's it's a the worse it's going to be right so doing a run and then immediate lifting is the worst thing you could do for for making strength gains and you know, if it's eight or 10 hours, that's going to be better if you can do that. So like run in the morning, lift at night. 
Um, but but uh, according to the research, you know, it's 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 um, you can you can get both, but you got to put the lifting first and the strength training first. That's awesome. Um, I think we're gonna wrap this up soon, but I just want to say one more thing. Like the the neurological effect on lifting, I think, is often like really really downplayed. Um, but one of the things that when I was a coach that I used to discuss with clients is that the first, they kind of go through two curves when it comes to lifting. And when they first start to lift weights, the very first curve that they're kind of achieving is this neurological curve. And it's not, it, it's not at the point where it's challenging their, where they're getting to like muscular failure yet. They're getting to a neurological failure because you don't, your brain doesn't know how to move on pressure yet and and it's unfamiliar to like be under weights and it's unfamiliar to like throw a barbell around and and being able to recruit all of your muscle fibers takes a lot of neurological strength that you need to train first and and that's kind of the first curve and once you kind of get over that hump then you're looking at really a lot of like physiological gains but you've got to get over that like that neurological impact um and this is where like when you talk about stress and like living well and all that kind of stuff, if you're coming into every gym session, like super fucking stressed and you can't turn off your day and, and, and you can't just zone out to the music and you can't use your social time to, to get into that lift, you'll never hit that lift ever because your brain is so distracted. So you have to be able to like use it as like a meditative effect almost, right? Know that you'll get the most out of that lift if you go in like kind of kind of zen right yeah so. yeah and and the more you train the easier it is to to recruit that so the longer you've been training this is actually what i believe is old man strength right so you know a lot of the uh, you know powerlifting titles and things are are held by people who are a little bit older you know they're in their 30s and even 40s because you know we're still growing and, and we're still figuring out our bodies as, as we go into our teens and 20s and even though that might be like the physiological peak for a lot of other things um, neurologically, we haven't learned how to fire all those muscles. You know, one analogy I always, I always teach people is it's like a game of tug of war, right? You have two teams, you know, one, you have one team of, let's say you have one team of, uh, uh five people and, uh, they're, they're, uh, they're not talking to each other and they're all sort of pulling all these different times or whatever, and they're not really coordinated. And then you have another team of say three people, but they're like, okay, ready? One, two, three, and all three people pull at the same time. That's, they're going to be stronger even though there's less of them because they're all working together in unison. And that's what, what the neurological adaptation is, is that we're getting all of our muscles. That's what speed and power is. But even on some of the slower strength stuff, if we can recruit more people to our team to all work together, we're going to see that, uh, that strength gain. And, and it's also something to point out too is that, is that I tend to, to um, program a little bit more on the strength side. So we know that lower rep ranges, um, you know, ones, twos, up to about up to about fives is really um, really trying to stimulate neurological adaptations, and then you know fives to to twelves or fifteens is usually kind of a blend of sort of strength and hypertrophy, you know, muscle growth, and then anything kind of in that twelve and up range up to you know twenty even thirty could actually be more for hypertrophy. So you know when when you have your your females, you know women are sometimes concerned about becoming too bulky, and you can say, look, this is not traditional bodybuilding where where the goal is size you know size is the prize right the um it's really a, it's really more on the the strength side we want to be as strong as possible but also you know uh, lean and fast right so we want to be able because that's also going to affect our performance in our daily lives when we're just doing fun things outside of the gym but also all our body weight stuff we only want for every 
ounce of muscle that we have, we want to be able to use it to its maximum ability, which is, which is neurological. I'm surprised you didn't mention my hat. <laughs> what? We already talked about your hat, didn't we? I know, but you didn't say like, oh my God, this thing's ridiculous. <laughs> what? I thought I did. It's ridiculous. Maybe it's <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm super uh, happy that, that this whole bulky size thing is, is not nearly as a discussion, as much of a discussion as it used to be. Right. I, I don't know if you, if you've experienced that kind of working in the industry as well. You know, I think, I think it's great that, that a lot of uh, w- women especially understand that, that, um, you know, that it's not how we train, but even then adding a little bit of muscle, that's great. That doesn't, it isn't going to make you bigger, you know, like physically oh larger. Like adding muscle is the thing that 90% of women need. Like women don't have enough muscle mass. And the thing that they don't understand is like, you want to lose weight. So estrogen holds on to fat. Estrogen directly translates into testosterone. The second that you start lifting, you don't even need to be strong. You just need to lift. Right. And it's like, if you want to lose weight, the best thing to do is to balance out your estrogen and testosterone level. Like, and it'll, it happens like that. Right. And, and it, but it's so scary and women have such high rates of like osteoporosis and like all kinds of bullshit. And it's like, man, just lift something, dude. Like you'll be yeah. so much <laughs> and, and muscle burns, burns calories at rest. And, you know, so even if you're training really hard all the time, you're only, you're only burning, uh, you know, 10 to maybe 20% of your calories in, in fitness and, and, and physical activity, the 80% or more of your calories every day are burned just in your normal, at normal resting states. And this number is really, I, I don't know, I don't know how much stock I put into it, but they say, you know, you're, you'll burn 50 extra calories for every pound of muscle versus a pound of fat. Right. And what, why this is important, you know, if someone were to, to lose 10 pounds of fat and add 10 pounds of muscle, that means that that person needs to eat 500 calories more per day to, to maintain that where they're at. Right. And so, I mean, 10 pounds sounds like a lot, you know, for a lot of women, it might be closer to, let's say they, if they lose uh, five pounds of fat and gain five pounds of muscle, that's physically, you're going to be able to see that change because, because rem- also remember that fat is five times the size. So if, if this is this, if this finger here is, is a, um, you know, an ounce of muscle, this is, this is five ounces of fat, right? So, you know, if you lose five pounds of fat and gain five pounds of muscle, that'll, vis- uh, you know, you'll change visibly, but then you'll, your scale won't have changed. But guess what? Now your body is burning 250 calories more every single day, you know, just by adding a little bit more weight, right? Or adding a little more muscle. And so, um, and so that's the other, that's the other benefit too. And that's the, and that's the reason why, we do lifting before our, our Metcons. Why we keep the Metcons short, because remember the duration was really important. The longer the duration, the harder it was in the central nervous system, the harder it was to make strength gains. And so we wanna make sure that we do keep our, that's why we keep the Metcons short on lifting days instead of doing a lift and then a 20 minute Metcon. It's always usually around that 10 minute range um, or, or a lot of times less or maybe a little bit more, but, but uh, um, it's because of these, these adaptations that we want. Love it. All right. We should wrap this up. Cool. All right, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in. If you're listening in, you can catch this on YouTube and uh, check out some of the graphics and stuff. I will link to the articles and things um, in the description. And uh, that's it, guys. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, I really appreciate it. You know, feel free to share this wherever you guys want. This is in private information. Uh, let's get it out to as many people as possible. Hopefully, hopefully it helps them uh, uh, make change in their lives and in the world around them. Drive on.